Chapter Fifteen of Kilmeny of the Orchard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karen Savage. Kilmeny of the Orchard by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter Fifteen. An old, unhappy, far-off thing. The next day Eric sought Kilmeny again and renewed his pleadings, but again in vain. Nothing he could say, no argument which he could advance, was of any avail against her sad determination. When he was finally compelled to realize that her resolution was not to be shaken, he went in his despair to Janet Gordon. Janet listened to his story with concern and disappointment plainly visible on her face. When he had finished she shook her head. "'I'm sorry, Master. I can't tell you how sorry I am. I had hoped for something very different. Hoped! I have prayed for it! Thomas and I are getting old and it has weighed on my mind for years what was to become of Kilmeny when we would be gone. Since you came I had hoped that she would have a protector in you. But if Kilmeny says she will not marry you, I am afraid she'll stick to it." "'But she loves me,' cried the young man. "'And if you and her uncle speak to her, urge her, perhaps you can influence her.' "'No, master. It wouldn't be any use.' "'Oh, we will, of course. But it will not be any use. Kilmeny is as determined as her mother when once she makes up her mind. She has always been good and obedient for the most part, but once or twice we have found out that there is no moving her if she does resolve upon anything. When her mother died Thomas and I wanted to take her to church. We could not prevail on her to go. We did not know why then, but now I suppose it was because she believed she was so very ugly. It is because she thinks so much of you that she will not marry you. She is afraid you would come to repent having married a dumb girl. Maybe she is right. Maybe she is right. I cannot give her up," said Eric stubbornly. Something must be done. Perhaps her defect can be remedied even yet. Have you ever had her examined by a doctor qualified to pronounce on her case? Have you?" No, master. We never took her to anyone. When we first began to fear that she was never going to talk, Thomas wanted to take her to Charlottetown and have her looked to. He thought so much of the child that he felt terrible about it. But her mother wouldn't hear of it being done. There was no use trying to argue with her. She said that it would be no use that it was her sin that was visited on the child, and it could never be taken away." "'And did you give in meekly to a morbid whim like that?' asked Eric impatiently. "'Master, you didn't know my sister. We had to give in. Nobody could hold out against her. She was a strange woman, and a terrible woman in many ways, after her trouble. We were afraid to cross her for fear she would go out of her mind." "'But could you not have taken Kilmeny to a doctor unknown to her mother?' "'No, that was not possible. Margaret never let her out of her sight, not even when she was grown up. Besides, to tell you the whole truth, Master, we didn't think ourselves that it would be much use to try to cure Kilmeny. It was a sin that made her as she is." "'Aunt Janet, how can you talk such nonsense? Where was there any sin? Your sister thought herself a lawful wife. If Ronald Fraser thought otherwise, and there is no proof that he did, he committed a sin. But you surely do not believe that it was visited in this fashion on his innocent child." No, I am not meaning that, Master. That wasn't where Margaret did wrong, and though I never did like Ronald Fraser overmuch, I must say this in his defence. I believe he thought himself a free man when he married Margaret. No, it's something else, something far worse. It gives me a shiver whenever I think of it. Oh, Master, the good book is right when it says the sins of the parents are visited on the children. There isn't a truer word in it than that from cover to cover. "'What in heaven's name is the meaning of all this?' exclaimed Eric. "'Tell me what it is. I must know the whole truth about Kilmeny. Do not torment me.' 
"'I am going to tell you the story, Master, though it will be like opening an old wound. No living person knows it but Thomas and me. When you hear it you will understand why Kilmeny can't speak, and why it isn't likely that there can ever be anything done for her. She doesn't know the truth, and you must never tell her. It isn't a fit story for her ears, especially when it is about her mother. Promise me that you will never tell her, no matter what may happen.' "'I promise. Go on, go on,' said the young man feverishly. Janet Gordon locked her hands together in her lap, like a woman who nerves herself up to some hateful task. She looked very old. The lines on her face seemed doubly deep and harsh. "'My sister Margaret was a very proud, high-spirited girl, Master. But I would not have you think she was unlovable. No, no. That would be doing a great injustice to her memory. She had her faults, as we all have, but she was bright and merry and warm-hearted. We all loved her. She was the light and life of this house. Yes, Master, before the trouble that came on her, Margaret was a winsome lass, singing like a lark from morning till night. Maybe we spoiled her a little. Maybe we gave her too much of her own way. Well, Master, you have heard the story of her marriage to Ronald Fraser and what came after, so I need not go into that. I know, or used to know, Elizabeth Williamson well, and I know that whatever she told you would be the truth and nothing more or less than the truth. Our father was a very proud man. Oh, Master, if Margaret was too proud she got it from no stranger, and her misfortune cut him to the heart. He never spoke a word to us here for more than three days after he heard of it. He sat in the corner there with bowed head and would not touch bite or sup. He had not been very willing for her to marry Ronald Fraser, and when she came home in disgrace she had not set foot over the threshold before he broke out railing at her. Oh, I can see her there at the door this very minute, Master, pale and trembling, clinging to Thomas's arm, her great eyes changing from sorrow and shame to wrath. It was just at sunset, and a red ray came in at the window and fell right across her breast like a stain of blood. Father called her a hard name, Master. Oh, he was too hard, even though he was my father, I must say he was too hard on her, broken-hearted as she was, and guilty of nothing more, after all, than a little willfulness in the matter of her marriage. And father was sorry for it. Oh, master, the word wasn't out of his mouth before he was sorry for it. But the mischief was done. Oh, I'll never forget Margaret's face, master. It haunts me yet in the black of the night. It was full of anger and rebellion and defiance. But she never answered him back. She clenched her hands and went up to her old room without saying a word, all those mad feelings surging in her soul and being held back from speech by her sheer stubborn will. And, Master, never a word did Margaret say from that day until after Kilmeny was born. Not one word, Master. Nothing we could do for her softened her. And we were kind to her, Master, and gentle with her, and never reproached her by so much as a look. But she would not speak to anyone. She just sat in her room most of the time and stared at the wall with such awful eyes. Father implored her to speak and forgive him, but she never gave any sign that she heard him. I haven't come to the worst yet, Master. Father sickened and took to his bed. Margaret would not go in and see him. Then one night Thomas and I were watching by him. It was about eleven o'clock. All at once he said, "'Janet, go up and tell the lass—' He always called Margaret that. It was a kind of pet name he had for her that I'm Dean, and ask her to come down and speak to me afore I'm gone. Master, I went. Margaret was sitting in her room, all alone in the cold and dark, staring at the wall. I told her what our father had said. She never let on she heard me. 
I pleaded and wept, Master. I did what I had never done to any human creature. I kneeled to her and begged her, as she hoped for mercy herself, to come down and see our dying father. Master, she wouldn't. She never moved or looked at me. I had to get up and go downstairs and tell that old man she would not come." Janet Gordon lifted her hands and struck them together in her agony of remembrance. When I told father he only said, oh, so gently, poor lass, I was too hard on her. She isn't to blame. But I canna go to meet her mother till our little lass has forgiven me for the name I called her. Thomas, help me up. Since she will not come to me, I must e'en go to her. There was no crossing him, we saw that. He got up from his deathbed, and Thomas helped him out into the hall and up the stair. I walked behind with the candle. Oh, master, I'll never forget it. The awful shadows and the storm-wind wailing outside and father's gasping breath. But we got him to Margaret's room, and he stood before her, trembling, with his white hairs falling about his sunken face, and he prayed Margaret to forgive him, to forgive him and speak just one word to him before he went to meet her mother. Master? Janet's voice rose almost to a shriek. She would not. She would not. And yet she wanted to speak. Afterwards she confessed to me that she wanted to speak. But her stubbornness wouldn't let her. It was like some evil power that had gripped hold of her and wouldn't let go. Father might as well have pleaded with a graven image. Oh, it was hard and dreadful. She saw her father die, and she never spoke the word he prayed for to him. That was her sin, master, and for that sin the curse fell on her unborn child. When father understood that she would not speak, he closed his eyes and was like to have fallen if Thomas had not caught him. "'Oh, lass, you're a hard woman,' was all he said, and they were his last words. Thomas and I carried him back to his room, but the breath was gone from him before we ever got him there. Well, master, Kilmeny was born a month afterwards, and when Margaret felt her baby at her breast, the evil thing that had held her soul in its bondage lost its power. She spoke and wept and was herself again. Oh, how she wept! She implored us to forgive her, and we did freely and fully. But the one against whom she had sinned most grievously was gone, and no word of forgiveness could come to her from the grave. My poor sister never knew peace of conscience again, master. But she was gentle and kind and humble until—until she began to fear that Kilmeny was never going to speak. We thought then that she would go out of her mind. Indeed, master, she was never quite right again. But that is the story. And it's a thankful woman I am that the telling of it is done. Kilmeny can't speak because her mother wouldn't." Eric had listened with a grey horror on his face to the gruesome tale. The black tragedy of it appalled him, the tragedy of that merciless law, the most cruel and mysterious thing in God's universe, which ordains that the sin of the guilty shall be visited on the innocent. Fight against it as he would, the miserable conviction stole into his heart that Kilmeny's case was indeed beyond the reach of any human skill. It is a dreadful tale," he said moodily, getting up and walking restlessly to and fro in the dim, spruce-shadowed old kitchen where they were. And if it is true that her mother's willful silence caused Kilmeny's dumbness, I fear, as you say, that we cannot help her. But you may be mistaken. It may have been nothing more than a strange coincidence. Possibly something may be done for her. At all events, we must try. I have a friend in Queensley who is a physician. His name is David Baker, and he is a very skilful specialist in regard to the throat and voice. I shall have him come here and see Kilmeny." "'Have your way,' assented Janet, in the hopeless tone which she might have used in giving him permission to attempt any impossible thing. "'It will be necessary to tell Dr. Baker why Kilmeny cannot speak, or why you think she cannot.' Janet's face twitched. "'Must that be, master? 
Oh, it's a bitter tale to tell a stranger. Don't be afraid. I shall tell him nothing that is not strictly necessary to his proper understanding of the case. It will be quite enough to say that Kilmeny may be dumb because for several months before her birth her mother's mind was in a very morbid condition, and she preserved a stubborn and unbroken silence because of a certain bitter personal resentment. Well, do as you think best, Master." Janet plainly had no faith in the possibility of anything being done for Kilmeny. But a rosy glow of hope flashed over Kilmeny's face when Eric told her what he meant to do. "'Oh, do you think he can make me speak?' she wrote eagerly. "'I don't know, Kilmeny. I hope that he can. And I know he will do all that mortal skill can do. If he can remove your defect, will you promise to marry me, dearest?' She nodded. The grave little motion had the solemnity of a sacred promise. "'Yes,' she wrote. "'When I can speak like other women, I will marry you.'" End of chapter 15